Hello and welcome to the Dash Podcast. Thank you so much for joining to me and my special guest, Principal Chax, all the way from South Africa. He's a high school principal, a math and science teacher, and we're excited to hear what he's got going on today. We're going to talk some about indigenous knowledge versus school science. And before we get started, I want to make sure that you go to TreyGammage.com right now to subscribe to the Dash Podcast and also check out my new book, Every Decision Counts, Eight Lessons I Wish They Taught Me in School, and our newest coaching program, Getting Unstuck, Four Steps to Your Best You, a Communication Action Plan. So you can see all that information at TreyGammage.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. But for now, it's time for us to hear from the illustrious Principal Chax, head of the department at the Thandulazi Math and Science Academy. Did I say that right? Yes, it's correct, sir. Thandulazi right. Math and Science Academy. There we go. There we go, man. So how did you how did you get into education, Principal Chax? Uh, I think growing up in the in the in the villages was 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 motivating enough to be in the hmm. education system. Yeah, I could see that teachers were, some of them were very reluctant in giving us the information and we were disadvantaged at times. And mm. then I was just like, if I become a teacher one day, this is something that I would not do to, to, to my learners. And then that was the whole drive to the education system. And I could see that I'm doing well as well when it comes to science and maths. And I was like, what a way of, of giving back to the to the community and to the learners at large. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So are you when and you said you grew up in the village and so what was school like when you were um in a rural, more rural community? I know now you're still kind of working on technology and equipping your learners with technology. So what was it like for you in a rural school setting um and did you have the technology that you needed to succeed? Mm. It was a bit difficult back in the days. Uh, not that I'm, I'm an ancestor, uh, <laughs> not, not, not that I'm old, but <laughs> back in 1999, uh, as I started school. And uh, when I was doing my high school, it was about 2006. So it was very difficult. There was no integration of technology and uh, curriculum school. Uh, so it was your old method of teaching, so that you have a chalk and you have a board and a textbook that you have in your side, and you had to understand from what you are given there. I mean, I was doing science. I've never been to the lab uh, my high school life, so that was the difficulties wow. I had to face when I was doing my my high school level. Mm. So that that's interesting, man. So, I mean, now you've gotten to a place where, you know, I see Linfa Malaudi and, and some of your other partners, you're really, you're really so focused on getting students the technology that they need. So in, in your ability to teach now, do you feel like you have the technology you need and the labs you need to um, give your students what they deserve? I don't think we are there as yet, but we have something at least in place. So where I'm currently teaching, we do not have a lab, however, there's a class which I've converted to become a lab. So that's where we perform our practicals with the learners and uh, with technology as well. I mean, I'm teaching uh, at a school where I think learners are coming from a poverty-stricken community. 
So mm. you wouldn't expect every learner to have all these gadgets that we need to use for technology, but those that are able to connect with us, we are able to help them. So I wouldn't say that we are fully there yet, but there's something that we are doing compared to my schooling days. Okay. How do you think it has changed from your time being in school to now? Like, I know you're not quite there yet, but um, what have been some of the biggest improvements that you've seen over time? I think that the introduction of, of, of technology has been the biggest improvement mm. over time. Uh, back in the days when you have a phone, it was just a phone for playing music or watching videos. But now I think learners are educated to, to use their phones wisely. You can, you, can, you can have videos of people teaching math and science. You can, you can streamline to various education sectors that can help you enhance your 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 math and science skills. So I think technology in a way has changed a lot. And what has changed as well is that we have young teachers teaching now compared to back in the days where your teachers were, were, were old and could not relate with what's happening now. But nowadays you have your young teachers who are able to engage these learners in, in technology as well. So that has been the biggest maybe improvement that the education sector has, has implemented technology. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. When you think back to um, your time in school, would you say that you were, that you, you mentioned this um, indigenous knowledge versus school science. Can you, can you break that down for me a little bit? Um, I think when I speak about indigenous knowledge and school science, uh, I'm referring to to, to, when you look at indigenous knowledge, uh, this is the knowledge that certain people from a community possesses. This is how they do certain things compared to other maybe communities. For example, they might have a different view of science, um, which has embedded in them or indoctrinated in them by their elders. Mm. So when, when I say the two should be integrated, what I mean is that when Elena comes to the classroom, this learner is not a blank slate. The learner has something in mind that they have learned from the environment, from parents, from, from, from friends. So when you integrate the two, you say, you ask the learners to say, what is your prior knowledge? What do you know about science? For example, lightning. There are, there are so many myths about lightning. People can mm. say this, it is man-made, it is that. But when you come to the classroom as a teacher and you crush that to say it is wrong, you are leaving a learner in a place of discomfort. Mm. Whatever you tell them now, they will never believe you because for the rest of their lives, they've been taught that lightning is done in this way. So we are saying that let's integrate the two. Let's ask where the learners are with the content and try to get the misconceptions from the content. And therefore we can bridge the gap from what they know Mm. what they don't know. So that, we urge teachers in, in integrating the two types of knowledges to say that here you have a learner who is from the rural villages who has been taught that this yeah. Okay. Now that that's pretty that's pretty good. I mean so so you're integrating over here that, that makes me think about like um community development, you know, and you have mm. your own history and you have, yeah, you've got your, your gifts and your information and your wisdom from your family. But instead of breaking down 
um, like telling you, okay, no, what your parents told you is wrong. This is how we do it. That that's amazing, but because I think there's such a, um, it sounds like there's such a difference between um, you know an indigenous rural community in a urban city community. So um, you know, and as you're talking about the the teachings of your parents, I think the way that you're approaching it is more from a relationship perspective where you're you're not telling them what's right or telling them what's wrong but you're asking what they know and then you're teaching based off of the information that they already have is that right yes yeah that's that that was uh, that's what i was referring to because when you look at the two types of knowledge and its nature of the knowledge you realize that indigenous knowledge is socially and collaborative it involves culture as well. So we can say that indigenous knowledge is situated in a cultural tradition yeah. and within a historical or political context. And therefore, when you look at the nature of science, you can say that it is also socially uh, and culturally construct, uh, constructed. I mean, although scientists try to be objective, but science is human journey and therefore affected by social and cultural traditions. Mm. Mm. I never looked at it like that. I, I'm not. I'm not much of a science man. I have. I have not. Uh, I haven't spent the time that I've needed to be an expert in science. I'm more of a people person than a, than a culture person. But it sounds like you're doing that. You're using culture to drive instruction in your classroom. Yeah, that is what I'm basically doing. Because looking at the history of our country as well. It is not uh, a secret that we were colonized back in the days. I was not there, but our forefathers could, could attest to that they were still here. We were colonized, we were, we, were, we were moved from what we used to believe in, we were given a new ideology. So in a way we were indoctrinated. So it is, I think when, when you come to indigenous knowledge, you're saying, you know what, you might know science today, but let's go back to what you used to know before and try to integrate mm. the two and see if we can find a winning formula. Because I think learning is at the center of where you come from and what mm. you do on a daily basis. So if I teach you something that is foreign to you, it might take time for you to understand because it does not have a meaning to your life. But if I take what you learn from home and I integrate with what you learn from school, you might value education. Yeah, that that's so profound. That's so profound. So how, what what led you to making that connection? Was it through just your journey? You know, I remember you said as you were growing up, you didn't really have um, the tools you needed and your teachers weren't really giving you all that they needed to succeed. So was it just over time that you realized like, hey, I need to put and keep culture in the classroom? Or was that something you learned through university in your schooling process? Mm, I think it is, it is something that I had with me to say, we, we tend to look at people who are practicing indigenous knowledge. We tend to less respect them compared to your scientists of the modern days. Um, here you have a grain at home who can perform certain things that uh, maybe scientists do not understand. And instead of criticizing the person, we tend to speak less about the person because it is not written in the books. So I would say, what, what a way or what can we do, what can I do as as a person to, to motivate and cultivate and help those who are practicing indigenous knowledge so that they can be recognized uh, to be part of the community as well. Because looking at a 
For example, if I look at a medical doctor who went to school and I look at a Sangoma, someone who never went to school, these are people, they are helping people in different ways. Yeah. But who is more respected? You realize that a medical doctor is more respected compared to um, a, a Sangoma. We call it a Sangoma here. Uh, so such such misconceptions, we had to uproot them so that people yeah. can be aware and they can be conscientized to say it is not really about modern science, it's about how can we match the two. Because if you look at the Sangoma and you look at the medical doctor, medical doctors, they extract their medicine from these trees, which maybe goes to labs and then, then extract it from there. But the root is that medicine is from trees. So mm. I can see a relationship there between the two. So hence, I'm very fond of this indigenous knowledge and school science. Yeah, that's good. Is, is that a practice? Are you helping other um, teachers be able to understand this as well? Or, or do you feel like other people have their own strategies? Like, are, is what you're doing a common practice or is it uncommon? I think it, it is uncommon. It, it, it is within me. But what I do is I try to educate as many as I can. Those who believe in what I do will then implement it in the classroom. Because, for example, where I'm teaching, I will try to implement it as much as I can. However, I am limited because the curriculum that you were given to teach has little room for indigenous knowledge. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. You said it has little room for the indigenous knowledge. Um, mm. Talk to me, Principal Chacks, about the conversations that you're having with the parents in the classroom. Are, are parents very involved in in school, um, yeah, in the schooling process? And like, what's that been like for them? So I know for yourself, you know, you you didn't necessarily have the technology you needed. So the parents of your students probably didn't have the technology even more so. So what is that student and parent conversation like for you in your classrooms? So we, we, we have a challenge in, in not only in my school, but I think in most of the government schools in South Africa when it comes to parental involvement, when it comes to their kids' learning as well. So one problem we are facing is that, that you find that a parent is not educated enough to, to, to be able to support uh, the kids with schoolwork. So that is problem number one. You find that they are not um, helping the kids with any homework that we give to the kids so that they can be happy at home. Hmm. Number two is if these parents are not um, advanced when it comes to technology, even if you try measures to involve them with technology, they don't see a user of that way because they don't have the knowledge of technology and how to use this technology. But you, ha you have parents who would say, you know what, I might not have been to school, I might not know math, I might not know science, but just being there for my child and attend all these meetings to show support in a way that has a positive impact on a child's life to say, I'm not doing this alone. My parents are around, they are supportive as well. But we do have a challenge of parents supporting the kids because when we have meetings, you find that the parent is at work the parent cannot do what cannot come to, to the meetings. So that's the challenge we are having with parental involvement in our schools. Right. Well, I mean, that sounds like a global problem, you know, and, and from just what I'm hearing, man, it sounds like um, I, I work with some rural schools as well where I'm at. I'm in South Carolina, and this is probably one of the most rural states in the United States between South Carolina and Mississippi, Alabama, and stuff like that. So we, you know, the, we see the disparities between what students have in an urban city where there's um, much more access and exposure to everything 
versus in a rural community that, that doesn't have internet access. Everybody doesn't have the internet. Um, everybody doesn't have two working parents or two parents in the household and stuff like that. Mm, is mm, is mm. the schools that you're teaching that, are you in an urban or a rural community? And how far are your students coming to get their education? So in my school, it's in an urban area. However, it's, it's a new development in a way. So most of the kids are coming from your squatter camps, are coming from an informal settlement. Uh, there are those who are coming from your, your good families, but they are few. They are not even 10% of, of, of the population in the school. So it's an urban area school. It's not an adult school, but urban area. Mm-hmm. But you understand that if you are in the city, originally you might not be born in the city. You are from right. the rural areas. So maybe your parents came here looking for, for jobs and all of that. So most of our kids, they walk for about 5K to 10K. There are those who can afford transport but not many of them so that is the nature and the context of my school so you said they'll walk five to ten k before they get to school that's true sir that's in wow just doing my brief conversion that's three to five miles yes sir that's a long way to walk to get to school so man mm, um and then you yeah, so it's it's it, it's challenging because when and when you want to conduct like your morning classes, you expect them to be there around maybe six thirty a.m. And looking at what time they should wake up if they have to walk for five k to school, you you would think about maybe half past four, and maybe in winter it's still dark; they can't come to school. It's not safe. So those are the challenges that we 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 are facing at the moment. We would want to teach, but looking at the context or factors that these kids are going through. Sometimes it, it, it's not easy to, yeah. to teach normally. That's wild. So I'm, I would imagine then in your in a given classroom, you know, if well, let me ask this: Is there mandates for how many days of school a kid has to be at, or, or how many hours of time they have to learn before they can move on to the next class? How do you deal with the gaps? You know, for a kid that has a vehicle and can get into class every day versus the, the students that that aren't coming in the winter time yeah so what we do is uh, uh, times does not change whether it's winter or summer but what we normally do is we for example in in winter i mean in summer we have morning classes which start at half past six in the morning these are extra classes to help those learners maybe who could not catch up with their content maybe the previous day or the previous time but now looking when it comes to winter up past six it's 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 a bit dark for them to be walking on the streets so what we do we readjust the time to say uh, let them come at 20 past seven at least so that they can get that 40 minutes extra because our schools commence from eight o'clock until three o'clock okay so what we do we give them extra time in the morning and after school as well we give them an extra hour for them to study on their own but you are there in the present so that if anyone has challenges, you can be able to be a mediator. Yeah, yeah. What is, um, what's brought you joy so far in, in your time as an educator? I know you've been teaching for a few years now. You know, you've worked your mm-hmm. way through ranks. When I look at your Facebook, I see a lot of pictures with um, some of your students, and they just seem really happy to be around you. What, what keeps you motivated and inspired um, as an educator? I think, I think before I could become an educator, I, I wasn't aware that I love, I love kids. Mm. I, love, I, I, love, I love students, especially 
students from a poverty-stricken community. So what brings me joy is when I take this learner who has no hope of going to university, who has no hope of going to college, and, and we push with the kids, we apply for them, and we find them in one of the most prestigious universities in South Africa and doing one of the most prestigious courses. That brings me joy to say, I managed to help someone who has lost hope over the past years, who never thought maybe they would make it to university, but now they are there competing with, with one of the best learners who maybe are coming from maybe fortunate or well-off families. So that, that gives me joy when I see a learner who had nothing and no hope at all, now the learner is able to even commit and I mean, uh, communicate and participate in social activities and they are able to also give back to their community when they are from university. That gives me much, much joy. And that joy is, can't be compared to anything. Absolutely. It's, it's such a service-oriented place. I mean, kids are so innocent, you know. Kids, agreed, agreed. They don't decide what parents they had. They don't decide where they were born or, or what kind of situation that they're in. And a lot of times they don't even know what the situation they're in is until they get much older. So it is up to us as educators and as adults to pour into those kids and, and allow them, create the opportunities for them to grow, to lead and experience. Is there a, is there a mission or a true legacy that you're trying to leave um, in education? Yeah, I think, I think I, I, I've opened something called uh, an, an NGO called Cymex. So when you look at Cymex, it's aimed at learners who are doing science. We help them with two tutoring classes, extra classes. We help them with, with projects and equipment that can help them in the near future. So I, I believe that science globally is regarded as one, maybe one of the most difficult subjects or modules in schools. So if, 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 if in the USA people can, can, can make music fashionable, can make clothes fashionable, why not, why can't we make science fashionable as well? Mm -hmm. Why can't we speak science every day? Why, why can't we take science to the world? So the legacy I want to leave is, is science is a life skill. Whatever we do is scientific. And once learners get that, they understand that doing science is part of their DNA. There is nothing difficult in doing science. So that is the legacy I'm willing to leave in this world to say science is doable and people can do science because science is a life skill. That's perfect. That's perfect. I love it so much. And you've tied it together from the traditional indigenous roots to the modern day technology and you can't separate the two. They've got to be together, man. Thank you so much, Dr. Chacks, for Principal Chacks, for um, the work that you're doing with education and the way that you're pouring in um, to so many kids in your area. I, I appreciate your time and your conversation today. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you for having me. It means a lot as well to share my ideas with the world. So thank you so much. Absolutely. It, it means a lot to me too, you know, to, to expose the world. I, I always tell people that it's a, having this podcast is, is an excuse for me to reach out to people like you and learn more myself Agreed. as well. So um, where can the people find you? If someone hears this episode and, and wants to learn more about Principal Chats, what do they need to do? Oh, they can... Email me, it's drchaukem at gmail.com. They can also get me from my website, is cymex.online. They can also get me from my numbers as well. It's uh, 
0786-5894-677. I'm on Facebook as well as Principal Chucks. And we can connect with them and then see how best can we help each other. Right on, right on. Well, thank you again for your time and thank you for listening to the Dash Podcast. This was a special episode with Principal Chucks all the way over in South Africa. And you can tell that he's doing great work and we appreciate him so much for that. So if you'd like it, share it with your friends and come back next time for the Dash Podcast because every week we feature educators who are solving problems for school communities and Principal Chacks is doing just that. We'll see you next time. This is the Dash.